Grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4 is where we're going to look tonight. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 6. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 6. We're going to look at verse number 7. A good simple message tonight. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. When you get there, if you're able to stand, stand please for the reading of God's word unless you're Ryan and then you're passed out on the front row. Amen. In true preacher kid fashion, amen, amen. Front row sleeper. <laughs> Philippians 4 and verse 6 says this. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Let's read that again. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Can we pray together now? Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you tonight for your goodness. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you mean to us. Thank you, God, for all that you are doing in our hearts and our lives. You're a good God. And Lord, we praise you and we thank you, Father, for how that your hand is on us and that you are protecting us, that you're keeping us that we can be yours, O oh Lord. Now, Father, I pray right now that if any in this room, Lord, that they struggle with a, a being worried and being anxious tonight over anything, that, Lord, that you would begin to comfort them, that you would begin to strengthen them. Father, we have come into this house to worship. And, God, we are a people of faith, and we know that you are able to handle anything. And, Lord, we are trusting you and believing you. God, knowing that, Father, your hand is over us, and Lord, we declare Psalm 91 over our lives that, Father, that you'll bring protection over us because we abide in the secret place. And Father, we honor you and glorify you, Jesus. Now, I pray that you would anoint our minds and hearts that we'll hear and understand everything that you're speaking to us tonight. And Lord, we love you and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen and amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord tonight. The most reverend R.C. Trench, who was at one time the Protestant Archbishop of Dublin, Ireland, he had a morbid fear of becoming paralyzed. One evening at a party, the lady that he was sitting next to at dinner heard him muttering mournfully to himself and he was saying this, it's happened at last. Total insensibility of the right limb. Your grace, said the lady, it just might comfort you if you were to learn that it is my leg that you are pinching. As a matter of fact, worry could be called the most popular pastime of the human race. One lady, elderly lady, one time said, I always feel bad when I feel good. 
for I know that I'll feel bad after a while. What a tragic outlook that many people have and many people live with. Folks, the bottom line is really this. When we worry, we really have ceased to trust the Lord in everything that God is doing. When you get right down to the brass tacks, although the calendar says that there are seven days in the week, really there are only three. Two of them should never cross our minds and worry. One of them is yesterday and it can never be changed. The other is tomorrow and no man holds the power to affect tomorrow. The other is today because today is really the only day we have and with God's help, we can face anything that arises in today. Amen. See, worry is like a rocking chair. It keeps you busy, but it doesn't get you anywhere. True. If worry is eating you alive and destroying your physical and spiritual life, tonight we're going to do our best to give you tools to help you to defeat it right where it stands. In these verses, the Bible tells us and sheds some light on how we are to handle our cares. And so tonight, I simply want to preach to you simply this about don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Verse number six brings us to our first point, and it gives us a word about our problems. It tells us that there is a caution to observe because nowhere in the Bible does it ever attempt to downplay the existence of your problems. In fact, it tells us quite plainly that problems are gonna stalk you as long as you walk on the face of this earth. Amen. How do you know that, Pastor? Well, Jesus tells us in John 16, Jesus tells us in John 14, I believe is where it's at, where he says, in this world you will have trouble, but fear not, for I have overcome the world. What was he telling us? That in this world you're gonna have issues. In this world you're gonna have troubles. In this world you're gonna have problems. In this world you're gonna have things that affect you negatively. In this world you're gonna have adverse, all kinds of adverse things that happen. But the fact is Jesus has overcome the world tonight, amen. So here's the thing. You don't have to tell me that troubles and trials aren't real, amen. I'm a pastor, don't forget that. I know about troubles and trials, amen. But after all though, even though you battle them every day of your life, the fact is that you and I are still commanded to obey things. And when it comes to worrying over problems that we face in this life, God only has one thing to say to us, and that is don't. That is God's word to you about worry. Don't do it. Don't. Now, if you're like me, I come from a long line of worry warts. Anybody else have those people in your family too? My grandpa Reed was a man of faith and a man of prayer and probably one of the most mightiest men of God that I've ever known. But let me tell you something. That man 
I felt like stayed troubled about things. I guess that's why he prayed so much. He worried over everything. He worried if, if us grandkids would make it to heaven. He worried if his children would make it to heaven. He worried if everybody had enough to eat in his family. He worried about if they weren't gonna lose their job. He worried about this and worried about that. And none of those things you can change. Amen? You can't change anything in this life, really, for a whole lot. The only thing you can change is how your outlook is and your attitude about it. You can't change the way people view you. You can't change the, the way a light performs or you can't change the way of this or that. You can't do any of that. The only thing you can change is how you perceive through life and how you walk through life knowing that God tells me not to worry. He's got it, amen? That is his command to us. Don't worry. And the phrase that Paul uses is be careful, don't be careful for nothing, he says, which literally means do not worry about anything. So what is worry then? Worry is a word that refers to a troubled state of mind resulting from concern about current or potential difficulties. It comes from an old English word that simply means, catch this, to strangle. Worry comes from an old English word which meant to strangle. Think about that. It was used to refer to the practice of wolves killing sheep by biting them around the neck, thus strangling their prey to death. This is literally what worry does in your life. Worry chokes you. It chokes you physically. It chokes you spiritually. Worry will choke the very life out of you if you allow worry to do it. Only fix the things you can change and leave the rest up to God. Amen? Because worrying about something you can't do a thing about is not gonna do anything but give you a dismal outlook on life and bring you to a deep, dark depression because you couldn't change it. Amen? How do you know that? Well, worry really is the interest paid on trouble before it ever falls due. Worry is the interest we pay on tomorrow's troubles. Worry pulls tomorrow's cloud over today's sunshine. Worry gives a small thing a big shadow. So he tells us then and gives us first a word about our problems. Then in the latter part of verse six, he gives us a word about prayer. If we can't worry, because worry essentially really is a sin if you really wanna be straight about it. If we can't worry and scripture tells us not to worry, what then can we do I know this is simplistic. I know that this is the answer that people don't like to hear, but it is the answer that is scriptural. We can pray. We can pray. What do you mean? Instead of worrying, the child of God is counseled to pray. When, talk, when Paul talks about praying, he uses three words in this verse. He talks about prayer, he talks about supplication and he talks about request. 
An examination of each of these that we're going to see is going to talk about and, and we're going to see that his instructions become more clear. The first word he talks about is prayer. This word is the general word for coming into the presence of the Lord. It carries the idea of acknowledging God for who he is. It speaks of adoration, of worship, and devotion. It is the picture of a weak child seeking the attention of a powerful parent. It is the picture of our seeing him for who he really is. Prayer is the believer leaving the cares of the world behind to go get lost in the presence of the Lord. Amen. It is about our worship. It is about our adoration of God. Because when you get your eyes off of your troubles and you can focus on the face of our Heavenly Father, then as He grows larger in your heart, your problem then grows smaller in your head. Amen. When you go to prayer and you begin to make God large in everything that you're walking in and you begin to pray about it, and then the larger God gets in your life, the smaller that issue then begins to become. Amen. When trouble comes in your life or in my life, one of the greatest sources of strength we possess is our ability to escape from our world and to enter into his. That is what prayer is. Prayer is escaping this world. Prayer is getting out of my world and stepping into his world. And I promise you, when I step into his world, things look a lot different. Amen. That is what prayer is. Because we can literally step into a realm. Did you know that troubles can't follow you into prayer? Sorrows can't follow you into prayer. Worries can't go with you into prayer. Well, yes, they can. That's why I pray about it. I worry about it, so I pray about it. No. Because when it comes to the presence of the Lord and you get in his presence and get surrounded by his presence then those things simply begin to fade away and they don't follow you into his presence. Amen? Then he talks about the word supplication. This word refers to an earnest sharing of our burdens, needs, and problems. It's not talking about flippant prayer, but of prayers that arise out of the heart. Fervent prayer about needs that move the soul is what Paul is talking about here. That God wants his children to pray, but he wants us to pray about the passion, about a, a, the passionate things that move your heart. What is that thing that you are burdened about? What is that thing that, that your mind really focuses on and you feel a passion arise out of you? That's what God wants you to do is get in your prayer closet and pray about that thing. If I want to hit that fifth gear in prayer, I start praying about my family. You want to know why I'm passionate about my family? Amen. Passionate about my children. Amen. I'm passionate about that blonde-haired, green-eyed woman that sits on the front pew. Why? Because that's the ones that I know. If I want to really dive deep into prayer, I just start praying about them. And then everything else I dive deep in and then I just start praying along with everything else with as much passion as I kind of prayed for them. Why is that? Because I'm passionate about them and then it causes me to be passionate about everything else. 
God wants you to hit that fifth gear in your prayer life. Amen. God wants you to go there. God wants you to dive deep. God wants you to get into prayer. Amen. Not only does he talk about the word prayer, not only does he talk about supplication, but he also talks about requests. This word refers to detailed prayer about specific issues. I, I hear people pray sometime and I'm like, man, I wish y'all just get more specific. In the low country, I'm a, and I know y'all probably are learning this, I'm a matter of fact kind of person. I, I, I have to, when I lived in the low country, I had to learn how to tone that down a little bit. Because they come and they talk about the trusses of the church. They talk about the ceiling boards. They talk about the lights. They talk about the steeple outside. They talk about the sound system. And we'd sit there for 45 minutes talking about everything else but the issue that they really wanted to talk about. And then they say, Pastor, you know, and then we get to talking about the issue. And I was like, man, you've just wasted 45 minutes of my time. We do that with the Lord. And I'm not saying you're wasting his time, but I'm saying we speak in generalities with the Lord. Instead of getting to prayer and say, Lord, I need you to handle this. We'll go, Lord, I wish you'd bless my trees. They need to grow. Lord, when Brother Joey plays the piano, I wish you'd bless him. I'd wish you'd do this. I'd wish you'd do that. I wish you'd grow plants. I wish you. And we're just praying in all these generalities. And we're going around this and going around that, going around this and going around that. And then we say, Lord, I really need you to save so and so. When that's why we started to pray in the beginning was so that God would touch and save so and so. But we done got off on a tangent and, you know, like ADHD squirrel. And we're praying in generalities. Lord bless the world. You know what I mean? Instead of coming before the Lord with our request. He says, make your request known. I want to know what bothers your heart. I want to know specifically what you're wrestling with. I want to know what you're facing. I want you to confess that thing to me. Why? Because there's power in your confession before the Lord. There's power when you release it because when you release it, then it no longer has the power that it had over you before you spoke that thing out of your mouth. But the problem is we would rather conceal it from the Lord and we would rather deal with it on our own and then when we deal with it on our own, we're sitting there saying, I don't know why the Lord ain't handled it. The Lord's saying, I wish you'd confess it. I wish you'd speak it out of your mouth in prayer because if you would open up your mouth and speak it, then I could do something with it and I can handle it in your life and I can break that off of you and I can answer that request that you need done. But I can't do what you're not willing to ask for and willing to speak out of your mouth. Amen. Amen. God wants you to approach him and to tell him what bothers you. Instead of praying around your issues, God wants you to hit them head on and run over them and get through them. Amen. So Paul then begins to tell us about the act of prayer and he tells us what our atmosphere of prayer is. Because Paul says that we are to do this in everything. Big things, little things. 
All of them are to be the subjects of our prayer life. Nothing is too big for God. Did you know that nothing is too small for God either? My son either asks me or his mama 1,200 times a day or more as he has Woody in one hand and Woody's hat in the other that he help me, help me peace, help me. What is he saying? Put Woody's hat on. And you put Woody's hat on, he'll stand there and go, that little thing he does, and then he'll take it off again. Daddy, help me, help me, help me. Son, I've done helped you five times. <laughs> okay, leave his hat on the next time. And you know what'll happen? He'll come back and do it 20 more times. But you know what? Guess what's gonna happen all 20 times? I'm gonna put the hat on. Tracy's gonna put the hat on. And Ryan's gonna take the hat off. And Tracy's gonna put the hat on. Then I'm gonna put the hat on because he ain't gonna like the way I do it. So then he's gonna go to mama and he ain't gonna like the way mama does it. And then he's gonna come back and he does this. 1,200 times a day. If I'm lying, I'm frying. I mean, that's just the way it is because he does it. But why does he do that? I don't know. But he understands where the answer is. He understands he has the incapability of placing Woody's hat on in the exact spot that he wants it on, but he knows who does. Who does? His daddy and his mama. So because of that, then, he's gonna come to us. This is really the atmosphere of prayer, is that God wants us to see things and us to know that nothing is too small for him and insignificant that he can't work it out and do it and be willing to pray about it. Nothing is that way. God wants you to have an atmosphere and then that attitude of prayer that our, our prayer life needs to take a shift in the church. We're a bunch of beggars instead of acting like royalty. Oh my God, yeah, I went there. What do you mean beggars? We come in just begging God for a little bit of a crumb instead of acting like the child that we are. Nothing encourages my heart more than when we put Woody's hat on that my son turns around and says, thank you, Daddy. I'll do it 1,200 more times just to get that. Thank you, Daddy. What are you talking about? Being a child says that I come to God with an attitude of thanksgiving and not one of an attitude of begging. I don't have to beg God anything. Because he's a loving father who is willing to give it to me. Hello? Did we forget that point? Because we like to come and do as the heathen do and think that we can do incantations and if we say it 20 more times, then maybe God might want to do it. When God is saying, I wish you'd just come to me with an attitude of thanking me that I've already handled it and an attitude of thanksgiving and knowing who I am and knowing what I'm capable of doing and when you do that, then I'm gonna move over your life. It's an attitude that we should have because we've got a God who cares about us. We've got a God who hears us, who loves us and who has promised to answer our prayers when we call upon him. Besides all of that, regardless of how bad life becomes, God has directed our path to the point 
that he is actively working out his will in you and I. How do you know that? Well, Romans 8 28 tells us. All things work together for them who love the Lord. So why should I go around worrying about something when I know that God's words already told me he's going to work it out anyway? Amen? Then last, in verse 7, we're going to land this thing right here. Not only does Paul tell us a word about our problems and a word about our prayer life, but he lastly but certainly not least gives us a word about promises. And the thing is, is that God promises us his peace. You and I are promised peace. So what is peace? The best definition I've ever heard about peace is simply this. Peace is tranquility of the soul. Peace is tranquility of the soul. This is the kind of peace that passes all understanding. In other words, it's a mind-blowing experience. It's the state of being where you are calm in the heart and mind, despite the fact that turmoil and strife are raging all around you. This is the calm in the heart that exists, even though the storm is still raging on the outside. It is a mysterious thing, but it's God's gift to those who would trust him in everything. This is a kind of peace that Jesus promises his disciples in John 14 and 27. It is a peace that is divine in its origin. It is a peace that cannot be disrupted by the problems, the disturbances, and the difficulties of life. It is a peace that cannot waver, that cannot be shaken, that cannot be destroyed. And even with Job and all of Job's issues, he still had this kind of peace. How do you know that? Because even when his wife come to him and said, boy, you need to curse God and just die. You know what he said? I will not. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. What was he saying? I've got peace. Because I know who my father is. He would eventually go on as Life would really flip him upside down. He would eventually go on as God would eventually come down to him and really knock him in the head, so to speak. He would eventually go on and he would say, I know my Redeemer lives and I will stand with him at last on the earth. What was he saying? I've got this peace that even though I've lost all of my livestock, I've lost all of my children, I've lost all of these things, he said, I've still got this peace in my life. What is that peace that I know who he is? And because I know who he is, that all of these other things are gonna be all right simply because of who he is tonight. Amen? So not only does God promise us peace, but God also promises us his preservation. We are told that peace will come to keep your hearts and minds. When Paul mentions the heart, he is referring to the seat of your emotions. The heart is the place from which our feelings come. When Paul mentions the mind, he is referring to the place where you do your thinking. And what is worry 
if it isn't wrong feeling and wrong thinking. When we see our problems and our burdens and our fears through human eyes, we'll always develop the wrong feelings and the wrong thoughts about the things we face in life. But God promises, and his promise is this, that his peace will keep your hearts and your minds. The word keep simply means, in the original language, to stand guard over. That he's gonna make sure that you've got peace. He's gonna make sure that your mind is kept. When Paul wrote these very words in Philippians, do you understand his plight in life? was simply that he had a Roman guard on either side of him watching him as he wrote this letter. They were standing guard, quote unquote, over the man of God. But Paul says that God's peace is like a guard that protects the heart from wrong feelings and the mind from wrong thoughts. I'm still learning most of you, and some of you I've, I've tried to get around and shake your hand, and I have, and all of this, and we're still learning one another, but one thing I do know, that everybody in this room is not exempt from having problems and having issues and having things that you face on a daily basis. None of us in this room are exempt for that. But the one thing I do know is that the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your heart and will keep your mind. Now, I know, I know the state of where we're at in our nation right now. We are worried to death. I'm kind of a little aggravated about it, a little frustrated with it. Why is that? Because I've got a boy that, that is in the at-risk population, that he can't get that mess. And so guess what that means? That means we've kind of, you know, pulled back on being in large crowds except at church because we know the people of God and we know that Somewhere in there, God's going to protect us all, amen, as the people of God. But at the same time, we also know the people of Walmart. And you can't trust the people of Walmart. Hallelujah, praise the Lamb. Amen. We also know the people of Ingalls, and we also know here and there, because we know certain people don't take care of themselves like other people do. That's okay. It's just a fact of life, right? Right. So what does that mean then for us as the people of God with all of this pestilence going around, with all of this, this COVID-19 talk and all of the flu talk and all of this? I'll tell you what it means for the people of God. We're going to go to prayer about it. I'll tell you what it means for the people of God. We've got the peace of God which passes all understanding that will keep my mind and will keep my heart. What does that also mean? That means that when I go and I begin to pray about it, that God tells me not to worry about it, that he's got it all in his hand anyway, and I'm just gonna pray a hedge of protection around my family and around my household and declare the promises of God over my family's lives. You might say, well, pastor, that ain't gonna do much. They can still catch it. Let me tell you something. It's done a whole, a whole heap a lot. Why do you say that? Because my boy is asleep on the front pew when they told me he was gonna die. And you know what? we did, we declared the promises of the Lord. He will live and will not die. Why is that then? 
It's because of the peace of God. When you've got the peace of God and you done prayed about it and heaven's been notified about it, you don't have to worry about it. Why? Because I laid it at his feet. And I said, here, I can't handle this. This is yours. Because my thought process is if he can handle what he did on the cross, surely to goodness he can handle what he, what he needs to do in my life. But when I worry about stuff, you know what I do? I take it away from him. And I try to bear something in my own strength that is impossible for me to bear. It's impossible. So why try to walk around with it? Why not pray about it and release it to him and lay it at his feet and say, here, you can do better with this than I can. It's just the way it is, amen? And it's better to do that. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. We thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing in our lives. You are a good God. Your peace passes all understanding.